Welcome to Cooler News, your go-to resource for insights and content straight from KPS Global. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cooler News, a KPS Global podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of KPS Global's podcast. As you're listening along, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you're going to our website, kpsglobal.com, for more information on solutions and services, but also more episodes of the podcast and other pieces of KPS Global content, like articles, videos, and more. So as the COVID vaccine begins its distribution, many healthcare organizations have been tasked with a new set of pressures. More specifically, figuring out how to store the vaccine at ultra-cold temperatures. Not only is this an operational challenge, but the facilities and equipment needed to reach such temperatures is no small investment. So besides buying a ton of dry ice, how can healthcare organizations set themselves up for success with a quality freezer solution that not only is going to assist in vaccine distribution today, but meeting any of these evolving needs into the future? We're looking to get into that question today with our guest, Maureen Holm, Solution Sales Manager for KPS Global. Maureen, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Hi, Daniel. I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, Maureen, it's great to have you on today. Thanks again for joining us and sharing your insights. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of personal experience in this space that I think is going to be really unique for our listening audience. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right in. Uh, now that countries across the globe are securing millions of doses of the vaccine with Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca and others providing uh, the bulk of the doses here in the U.S., how has this introduced new sets of challenges for healthcare providers and organizations? Or more specifically, what are these challenges and why are they uh, manifesting? Um, yeah, some of the challenges that it, it is creating for healthcare workers and organizations is the distribution of the vaccine, the storage, and the preservation. And mostly these um, sets of challenges are around um, the storage requirements for the vaccines. So. Pfizer, uh, which is the first vaccine that we know is rolled out, has a unique storage requirement of a minus 80 degrees Celsius. Uh, Moderna has a minus 20 degrees Celsius, and AstraZeneca has four degrees Celsius. So the main challenge um, I see is around the Pfizer vaccine, just that it is at minus 80 degrees Celsius. And what that means as far as for healthcare workers and providers is it's going to be difficult for them to manage that set of temperatures since it is so cold that usually they make um, special freezers for that, which are minus 80 degrees ultra low freezers um, that are expensive and they're smaller units and they're reaching because of the cold temperature. But since this is at such a larger scale and a bulk production, um, they're going to need a bigger space, a bigger, essentially a bigger freezer that can hold minus 80 to be able to store the number of vaccines that are going to be needed to distribute to the community um, and also to find locations that are going to be centralized that are large enough to put um, freezer units in that are going to be accessible to the general public. Now, when Pfizer says that their vaccine has to be stored at ultra cold temperatures, what exactly does that mean? Can you give us a, a little more grounded of a uh, context there? Yeah, so ultra-low um, in the industry, it's, it's considered minus 80 degrees Celsius. So I believe that's minus 94 degrees in Fahrenheit. So it's a very, very cold temperature. 
um, because Pfizer, because of the, the reason why is that Pfizer is using a unique um, type of vaccine that is for their RDNA receptacle that needs to be stored at that minus 80 temperature. It's usually feasible, again, by most hospitals, um, pharmacies, um, pharmaceutical companies, they have minus 80s ready and available. But what makes this an unusual situation is just how many vaccines that we're going to be needing for the whole public at that temperature. Gotcha. So so basically, the real challenge is not necessarily uh, meeting the uh, cold temperature needs at you know, just the cold temperature level, but more of uh, securing the scale of storing so many vaccines? Yes, correct. So why is this proving to be such a challenge then? Uh, you know, has there not been a situation where we've had to administer vaccines or some kind of drug at this scale that is also uh, set to be stored at ultra cold temperatures? Is this a that unique to the, um, you know, to the healthcare world, or uh, is this, say, a challenge of um, tight budgets? Is this a challenge of just literal lack of space? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is definitely the first time that we'd have to, we had to do this, um, you know, something that's so universal, such, such an issue as COVID-19 and how it's affecting the, the whole world. So at this grand of a scale, this is the first time um, that we have to do something or hold a vaccine at this, this low of a temperature. Um, and the, the factors you have to also consider are um, also just distributing it and transportation of the vaccine as well. So getting it to areas um, in other countries that aren't as fortunate as the U.S. or, or third world countries that don't have as much funding to be able to produce um, a solution that would be able to store this large amount of vaccine at such a cold temperature, that's going to be seen as a, a future problem um, moving forward. And so I guess for, to answer your question, yes, it's definitely, we haven't seen anything that's this large of a scale where we've needed um, the, um, vaccine for everyone at a minus 80 temperature. Um, space is definitely an issue. Um, I'm in the New York City, so for us, you know, New York City space is always an issue. Real estate's at a high value. So even the hospital spaces that they have now to be able to fit um, another even upright minus 80 ultra low freezer um, is going to be a challenge. At, at the hospitals, and as well as just monitoring the potential of when vaccines are, how many are being distributed to what location, um, the success rate of the vaccines. So you have to make sure that the vaccine is being sort of the correct temperature that all other um, handling of the vaccine has been, we call it the chain of custody, that it has been monitored throughout the whole process through manufacturing, um, transportation and distribution. So when we do give it um, up to the general public, you want to make sure that there you it's going to be working um especially with covid since it is so contagious obviously you don't want to administer a vaccine that you're unsure of um its success rate because of a factor that you could have controlled such as the temperature level that it needs to be stored at so in general uh what would you say are some of the potential solutions for uh, expanding cold storage space and temperature requirements at the manufacturing level. And we'll get into a, a few different factors here, but we'll, we'll start with the manufacturing level. What are some potential solutions you see and why? Yeah, the manufacturing level, since we are producing one vaccine um, and one vaccine only. So the manufacturing level of um, the pharma companies and biotech companies are only going to be concentrating on this one vaccine. So since we're not, they're not making any other drugs that have different requirements, 
um, a solution at the manufacturing level would be to expand um, expand their freezer and refrigeration into large walk-in areas as opposed to the smaller with what is usually in the is used now in the market which is a smaller walk-in reachable uh, minus 80s so they have the opportunity to make larger walk-in units um, to be able to store a bulk supply of the vaccines and easily distribute it amongst the public and it also helps with the level of vaccine and the numbers um, since this is such a grand scale, you're going to have to keep producing and producing. So again, this will um, make it possible to have a large number of vaccines stored and ready to go um, to the general public when we're, when it needs to be deployed to certain areas. Now, how can manufacturers make sure that these solutions meet uh, very specific CDC requirements for proper vaccine storage, temperature, uh, and, and data monitoring as well? Um, you know, I guess give us some tips and, and tricks on maneuvering uh, those requirements. Yeah, so the CDC has a pretty already has a, a good playbook and set of requirements that that they have is surrounding vaccine storage um, and distribution. One thing that they can follow is uh, CDC has a program, Vaccine for Children's program, um, and that's posted online. So again, that gives um, temperature monitoring requirements, um, data, what type of equipment that you need as far as data logging, uh, reporting, um, the type of freezer and refrigeration, best practices for cleaning and maintaining that, just to ensure that the temperature is is kept stable and at that minus 80, and then you have a way of tracking and monitoring that, that that it doesn't fall below a, a certain temperature. Um, I guess my, it's usually between minus um, one to two degrees. So it, it stays at the minus, minus 80 degrees and hasn't fallen below or higher than that temperature threshold. Now, what about uh, finding solutions to meet these ultra-cold temperature needs, but more at the local state distribution level? Where have you seen some bottlenecks in providing these solutions pop up? And what are your thoughts on potential solutions? As far as at the local and state level, um, some potential solutions that I've seen are more of a modular freezer design. Some space is such an issue um, in hospitals and finding the space you can put all these, you know, minus 80 ultra-low um, freezers. So just having modular units created um, at, a, at a, a different location or outside a hospital or maybe at a church or a school would be some solution. So the mod- what I mean by modular unit is a freezer or refrigerator that is a large walk-in that can be quickly um, installed and customized for various sizes that is capable of storing the vaccines at any temperature that is needed. Um, as far as it's minus 80, minus 20, or just a regular refrigerated unit at four degrees Celsius. So creating a whole walk-in and cold storage unit or uh, environmental uh, temperature chamber is not necessarily quick work. Uh, But I know that at KPS Global, the team has worked to create some modular solutions to meet more timely uh, installation needs. So... To start, can you break down why uh, this fast deployment is so important and uh, I guess why KPS Global has put energy, time, and resources into developing this kind of solution? Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, the fast deployment is is important. Um, I think we can all relate to that just with COVID, COVID-19 and just needing the need to get a vaccine um, out there not, you know, on a global level uh, to stop the spread. So we can all go back to living 
living um, some sort of a normal life. Um, and also the fast deployment is to keep up with the changes that are happening and with um, the pharmaceutical and biotech companies that are coming out with the vaccine. So since the vaccine's here, a solution is needed right away to create it just to make sure that we can meet this at such a grand scale. And also, since it's COVID and it's so highly contagious, um, having a solution out there where you know it's working a vaccine where you can uh, track and trace it without it spreading from other people um, it is very important. So yep, getting it there quickly and getting it to these locations as, as fast as possible without any delays. Um, again, biggest thing about that is to stop the spread for, for COVID. Now, how does KPS Global achieve that kind of modular installation with its product design? Uh, you know, what is unique about the way that it's actually uh, developed and, and manufactured and designed to achieve that kind of flexibility? Yeah, it's definitely. So with our panels, um, our panels, we use um, an interlocking tongue and groove parameter panel. The thickness that can vary between three inches, four inches and six inches. And again, what makes it so unique and easy to assemble to get that modular design is we have an interlock system with our cam lock that makes it each panel can quickly be any uh, deployable at a certain size and a certain thickness. And with the cam lock, it can lock directly to metal surfaces, making it essentially kind of like a in place Lincoln log, if you will, um, or a Lego. So it can be customized to the size that you need for certain spaces that aren't, you know, normal, I guess, I mean, normal out of the box. So if you customize to fit specific spaces, that might be more unique. And uh, the interlock system, it's just snapping the, snapping the pieces together. So it makes it quick to quick for us to manufacture and also customizable for any size that you might need or weather or location and easy to install with our cam lock system to snap the panels in place. There are a lot of domino effects that come with um, having the right solution in place. And I'm curious your thoughts on how a modular solution can impact uh, emergency preparedness for state and local governments, their hospitals, their healthcare centers, especially when we look back at the sort of mobile temporary triage setups that uh, you know, had to be developed to deal with COVID patients, or as we look ahead, the need for mobile and temporary uh, vaccine cold storage distribution centers. So again, how do you see these modular solutions impacting emergency preparedness uh, for state and local governments and their facilities? Yeah, definitely. I think it is something that's going to impact them in a very positive way by um, helping to have a solution to deal with whatever may be coming up um, with COVID as far as an emergency preparedness if we're under you know, second, third wave, or if that means, um, again, uh, distribution of the vaccine. So some of the things that we, we did in the during the first wave of COVID that were successful at KPS Global as far as modular solutions, um, that uh, being, again, living in New York, uh, we saw a lot of this here, was when hospitals um, and healthcare systems were becoming overwhelmed with patients due to COVID, is making a outside triage area for for new patients to come into come into that's larger where you can do some, with the patients that are coming in have some sort of social distancing to help prevent the sp spread and the stress that's put on the hospital level as far as not being able to um, meet all the patients needs or being um, just overwhelmed by the number of patients that are coming in with COVID. 
So again, it's essentially making a field hospital for any overflow that is happening if there is another COVID outbreak um, due to a third or second wave. And another emergency preparedness that we've been doing a lot of right now and a lot of local and um, at the state level are contacting us about are mobile morgues. So again, being in New York, during the first wave, that was a huge, huge thing for us was there, the morgues were being overran. So at the time they were just handling it, didn't know how to handle it, I guess. So um, that being said, I think we learned a lot from the first wave. So what we're doing now is making mobile morgues. So it's essentially a large freezer refrigerated truck that can handle any overwhelming effects that are happening in the, in the morgues and mortuaries due to COVID. And um, so also having that as far as emergency preparedness, um, basically field hospital set up. And again, with the mobile solutions, it's having a distribution center that can be put anywhere for, um, that can also be refrigerated or, or refrigerated or hold the freezer temperature for vaccines. So, Maureen, I want to pivot slightly here and pull from your personal experience. Uh, You were a professional in New York City during Hurricane Sandy, and you got to witness firsthand the devastating effect that the storm had on hospitals, pharma companies, uh, and even research institutions, specifically how it impacted their cold storage freezers and refrigerators, which were all storing vaccines, medications, uh, and, you know, really invaluable research samples. So, just to hear it from, uh, you know, from your perspective, can you recount that experience for our audience and exactly what you saw play out for these organizations? Yeah, definitely. Um, so during Hurricane Sandy, New York got hit especially hard, New York City. So some of the things that I saw happening um, at, at that level, at some of the, ho- the hospitals and research universities, uh, specifically hospitals, um, NYU, Coney Island Hospital, is they, since space is so limited, it, in New York, um, and you use all the real estate you can, as most um, facilities, a lot of the refrigeration and minus 80 freezers were stored on in, in either in a basement level or first floor level for vaccines. And with Sandy, nobody really expected to the extent, I think, of Sandy to, to hit that hard as far as the flooding because of Sandy, rather. So, um, Basically, Coney Island Hospital, NYU, so many different hospitals were just overwhelmed by water and, and, and surges of water um, in the basement or first floor level. So that flooding ended up um, impacting the refrigerators and freezers that were storing samples and vaccines. So what I did working there was, was getting calls just left and right from hospitals like, um, needing a solution because it was such an emergency and happening in real time. So one of the things that I was able to provide a solution for and help um, successful in, in emergency preparedness was working with the hospitals and working with um, with our with our manufacturer and our vendors and our distri- distribution locations where we we had prepared for this and we had stored um, more minus eighty freezers and refrigerators that we'd be able to quickly deploy out to these hospitals. Um, if there was such a situation like this. So we were able to help um, specifically one of the hospitals in the New York area that ended up losing over over 15 to 20 refrigerators that were storing these critical vaccines by having the, this surplus supply that we were um, already 
in hand. But we were able to deploy quickly, which was a result. They didn't. Um, they ended up not losing any of the vaccines or critical samples that they were storing. So one of the main takeaways that I personally learned um, from dealing with the national disaster on such a grand scale like, as Sandy had affected uh, the New York City area, and then I also think hospitals and um, pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies, research and um, universities also learned was how important critical refrigeration and freezers are when they're when they're storing vaccines or other samples that need to be held at a critical temperature in order to be viable and, and used still useful. So again, just putting, uh, making sure to be prepared and having safety nets in place if there was something to happen that would affect that cold chain, cold storage of these viable samples. So again, that, and again, one of those solutions would be um, temperature monitoring equipment. Um, so making sure that the, the refrigerators and freezers have are set up to a backup power supply and that have proper monitoring equipment. So um, hospitals, workers, um, and doctors are notified if a temperature falls between a certain level that will corrupt whatever is being stored inside of the um, freezer or refrigerator. And again, since space is so limited, um, having a backup supply or having another location available that if another disaster would happen or you need to expand your cold storage area, um, that you would be able to easily de easily deploy that and have a solution where you could put put the vaccines and other samples that needed to be stored as a, as a backup area um, if something would happen to the equipment that you have on hand. Can you give us a little more information on how you worked with those uh, hospitals, pharma companies, and research institutions to get them reliable cold storage units that met their current needs during Hurricane Sandy, but also that were proactive and had you know future-facing applications and strategy to them as well? Yeah, so I was definitely right on the ground level um, at the facilities and hospitals when it was happening in real time. So again, what I did is I was working for a company that we manufactured ultra-low minus 80 freezers and other refrigerators made specifically for um, for hospitals um, and for scientific um, laboratory storage and, and vaccine applications. So I proactively worked hand in hand in real time with with hospitals and the research universities that were getting hit here, um, and then our manufacturing plants to make sure that we were speeding up production and getting getting workable equipment as far as minus 80s over to them for the um, for the units that weren't working. So what that meant too was there's only a certain, you know, a certain time that it's very critical that you move that temperature doesn't fall when a, when a freezer stops working that you get it moved into a working minus 80 freezer um, before the samples or, or vaccines, um, whatever you have inside is not viable anymore. So I was right on the ground working with them to um, coordinate our supply chain to get our freezer, new freezers sent out and then transferring over um, the items that were in the freezers that had been flooded on site into our new into our new units. And the new units that I was had shipped out to, I worked with the facilities to make sure it had the proper temperature monitoring equipment in place and also was set up on a backup power supply. Um, so that way, if this had happened again in the future, the facility would be notified um, right away via, like, it goes through Bluetooth, so they'd be notified right to their mobile phones or to the computer that there was an issue with the freezer as far as it, the temperature falling below a certain 
um, critical mark or a door being left open or the power power supply being cut off. So that way, if you notified, notified, being notified faster meant that you could get a replacement in before, essentially before it's too late. So that's something that I did um, working with the facilities on the ground level during Sandy. Now, if you had to take those uh, experiences and apply them to today and the COVID response, do you see any of that emergency response uh, turning into some valuable lessons for COVID's vaccine challenges? Yes or no? And if so, uh, what are they and why? Yes, definitely. I, I think it's extreme valuable lesson. Um, just making sure that we have um, the solution in place, um, the correct equipment in place with the large walk-in freezers and refrigeration that we're monitoring the vaccines correctly. Um, I think it's even more so critical with COVID since since it's a pandemic and being able to track the success rate that um, when a person receives a vaccine, that they've been vaccinated, that it's actually working and they are immune to COVID. Um, so they're capable of going outside and being around people without spreading it um, with, once we start um, lifting the social distancing. So making sure, controlling the controllables, I guess, is the biggest takeaway. So controlling the controllables to me means with the refrigeration, making sure that we have the correct monitoring in place that it's been tested properly for large um, these our, our large walk-in freezers and refrigerators that the temperature can be held um, at certain levels throughout the whole circumference of the inside interior of the freezer or refrigerator. So again, um, that I think is the biggest takeaway: being prepared and making sure that the equipment is working and that the monitoring and tracking is in place, and then we have enough equipment deployed and and ready to use at available for the general public so that we're not caught in a situation again like as I was during Sandy where um, you know it's hitting and then we don't have enough supply at hand in order to meet the demand. All right Maureen thank you so much for your insights so far just one main question for you as we look to 2021 and the uh, outlook for vaccine distribution what challenges do you think still lie ahead for hospitals and vaccine distribution centers? And how is KPS Global working to meet those needs proactively? Yeah, definitely. I think the challenge that still is going to lie, lie ahead as we move um, into 2021 is that we are going to be distributing the vaccine. It's going to be more readily accessible for the full population. So one of the main hurdles with that is going to be space for healthcare centers, hospitals, and pharmacies um, to distribute and store the vaccine. So basically refrigerated space or freezer space to store the vaccine and distribute it on such a wide scale to the whole population. Um, and that's something that KPS Global, that we're working towards um, proactively meeting the needs of that. And what that means is we're, with our mobile solution, um, we're capable, again, of making customized areas that aren't necessarily um, don't need to be like the exact space or size. So we can customize into a structure that's already set in place. So if it's a, a building, a hospital or um, a church or community center, if that's what state and local governments are going to be using um, for vaccine distri distribution points to the general public, um, one thing at KPS that we're capable of doing, again, is making a customizable solution that would be able to fit that space with our panels that are modular, we can be cut to different sizes um, and able to fit fit the space requirements of any of that type of facility. 
And also we're capable of making mobile solutions um, as far as field hospitals and mobile solutions that aren't um, part of, that could be outside of your hospital, for example. So it could be a distribution center outside of a hospital that is um, minus 80 degrees, minus 20 or four degrees Celsius for vaccine storage and uh, distribution to the general public. All right, Maureen, thank you again for joining us and giving us your insights today. It's been great. Again, we've been chatting with Maureen Holm, Solution Sales Manager for KPS Global. And uh, Maureen, if folks want to find out more about some of the work you're doing in this space and get in touch with either you or KPS Global, how can they learn more and how can they do so? Yeah, they can go to our website, um, kpsglobal.com, and they can also reach me. Uh, My email is Maureen. M-A-U-R-E-E-N dot home, H-O-L-M at kpsglobal.com. Perfect, Maureen. Thanks again and looking forward to getting you back on soon. All right, great. Thanks, Daniel. Bye-bye. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Cooler News, a KPS Global podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as going to our website, kpsglobal.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.